Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We live in a world full of people made in the image of God who don't know that they are made in the image of God and actually think that they are here just through natural processes somehow, and therefore they're hard-pressed to really have any meaning in life. Because if, if life is just an accident, then it can't really be about anything. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 7 through 10. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Let's open up to Jeremiah, and we are going to pick up in chapter 7. All right, before we pick up in the seventh chapter, though, I want to go back and I want to just revisit the Lord's word to Jeremiah back in the first chapter and just look at that call of God upon Jeremiah's life just for a moment. We touched on it last week, but there's so much that could be said, so I wanted to go back. Before I formed you in the womb, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And, you know, when you think about that, there's so much here about who we are. And, of course, the first thing that we see is that we are created by God. He formed us in the womb. He says to Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb. And, of course, that can be said about each and every one of us. And, you know, far from being the byproduct of evolution or natural processes or just you know, some cosmic accident, which then would leave us with absolutely no meaning or purpose for being here. We are here because we were made. We were created by God. And of course, when we go back to the Genesis account, we see there that God created us in his image and in his likeness. You know, oftentimes in teaching through that passage in Genesis, I've wondered, and, and people have even commented, commentators have questioned this as well. God created us in his image and in his likeness. What's the difference between image and likeness? This is a question that comes up a lot of times. And, and the answer is really, there isn't any difference. So the question is, well, why does he have both the image and likeness? And I, I read this thing and I thought, wow, I've never heard this before, but I think this is the answer. The answer is he didn't have a highlighter. Uh, he didn't have anything to underline <laughs> the sentence with. So he's stating the same thing twice for emphasis that we were created in the image of God, image and likeness. We were created to be the representatives of God on the earth. That, that's why God created us, to be his you know, you think of a, a monarch who ruled a vast empire. You know what they would do? Of course, the, the monarch was, he was 
restricted to a particular location, right? It couldn't be everywhere. So what do they do? They set up images of that monarch all throughout the land. So the farthest distance you could go in the empire, you would oftentimes find an image. And that was a reminder that you were under the dominion of that particular monarch. And so God gives man, what does he give man? He gives man dominion over the earth, makes man in his image, gives him dominion over the earth. So just something for us to be reminded of that we're not here by accident, by any stretch. Nobody is. Everybody is here because of the same reason God formed us in the womb. And then he says, before you were born, I sanctified you. So we were created by God. And in I sanctified you, we were created for God. And this is what gives meaning to life. We live in a world full of people made in the image of God who don't know that they are made in the image of God and actually think that they are here just through natural processes somehow. And therefore, they're hard-pressed to really have any meaning in life. They're hard-pressed to really articulate what life is about. Because if, if life is just an accident, then it can't really be about anything. But if life is intentional, if life came from the giver of life, God, then, of course, life has meaning. And the meaning of life, the primary meaning of life, is to know this God. That's why we were created, to know him. And then thirdly, we were created with a purpose. And so he says to Jeremiah, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So this is the purpose that God uh, formed Jeremiah in the womb for. He formed him to become a prophet to the nations. And so we can say about ourselves, we were formed by God. We were formed to know God. That's the meaning of our life. And then the purpose of our life, that's something that we discover as we follow the Lord, as we walk with the Lord. He reveals, remember, Jeremiah is maybe in his late teens, possibly 20 years old. We saw that he started his ministry in uh, the 13th year of Josiah. We mentioned how Josiah was 21 years old at the time. And then, of course, Jeremiah says, I'm a youth, I can't speak. So he's perhaps even younger than Josiah. And so it's now at this stage in his life that he's beginning to understand the purpose of his life. The purpose of his life, as we see, is that he is called to be a prophet to the nations. And so for us, God has created us with a purpose as well. And if we seek him, he will reveal what that purpose is. And he will lead us into that purpose. He's faithful to do that. And, and you know, when I see just the, the lost generations, I, I so often think, like, if, if they only knew, if they only knew that God, there's a God who made them, there's a God who loves them, there's a God who uh, made them to know him, and there's a God who has a purpose for their lives. And, of course, that's why we 
share the gospel, right? So people can come to know that. So just thought it would be good to touch on that again, but let's jump back now over to chapter seven. And like we did with the previous chapters and like we're gonna do all the way through Jeremiah, I wanna give you just a sort of a heading for the chapter And then we're going to look at some of the key verses in the chapter. So we're not going to read over every verse in the chapter, but we'll look over some of the verses. So in the seventh chapter, there are three things that stand out. Number one, the courage of Jeremiah is really shown here, begins to be revealed here, uh, the courage of this young man. Secondly, we get uh, some more insight into the idolatry of the people And then there is also the warning, which we will find many of these throughout Jeremiah, of the coming judgment. So look at chapter 7 here right at the, the beginning. So the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. So so Jeremiah is sent to the temple, to the gates of the temple where everybody's coming. They're coming to do their religious thing and he's to go there, this young man, he's to go there And he's to speak to them and he's to tell them to amend their ways and their doings. And then he says this, verse four, do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So just imagine this. So so let's just say, you know, lots of people coming to a church and as everybody's coming in, here's this guy standing out there saying, hey, no, don't, don't say, hey, we're going to church. You know, no, we're, we're in church. It's all about church. Don't, don't say that when you're living a life that is contradicting everything that this church or in their case that the temple stood for, because that's what the people were doing. They were going to church, so to speak. They were going to the temple regularly. They were devoted. This was something that they did. But they were at the same time living in total disobedience to God. And it's amazing how that still happens today. I was talking to a person recently, and they were telling me about something that happened with a person that they know, and it was a really, really bad situation and, you know, something very devious and something very you know, hurtful and something very deceitful. And they were telling me about this person who did this to them. And they said, and, and they're an elder at their, at this, at their church, the, the church that this person goes to. And I thought, wow, how tragic You know, here's a person who's known in his community as an elder, a leader, a spiritual figure in the leadership of the church, but then he has no 
qualms about taking advantage of a person, lying, deceiving, stealing, cheating. And that's what was happening in Jeremiah's day, basically. So Jeremiah is to tell them not to trust in these lying words. He says, for if you thoroughly, the Lord is speaking, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger. So these were the things that they were involved in, oppressing the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers forever and ever. So remember, when you go back to the law, you go back to Exodus and to Leviticus and and Numbers, and then Deuteronomy is a, a repeat of so many of those laws. These were all the things that were dealt with in the law. There were laws against oppressing the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and laws against shedding blood and all of those things are all contained right there in the law. So they've disregarded everything that God has said, but they're still going through the outward religious ritual. And like I said, this has happened all throughout history, whether it was the temple in Jerusalem or the cathedral in whatever city or the little country church on the corner. Uh, These kinds of things have happened over and over again. Verse eight, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Again, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are Delivered, We are freed up to do all of these abominations. Verse 11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel." So here, Jeremiah, you know, again, God's speaking to Jeremiah. He's speaking through Jeremiah and calling them out on their sins. And they have this mentality that they're never going to be judged. They think that they're immune from judgment. And so in verse 12, he says, if you think that's the case, just go to Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of the people of Israel. So remember, the temple in Jerusalem was, was, the, was the place of worship that was built in the time of Solomon. But before the time Solomon built the temple and back before David's time, the tabernacle that had traveled with the children of Israel in the wilderness, the tabernacle was based in the place called Shiloh. And the Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh. And because of the sins of the people, the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistines and Shiloh was left desolate without the presence of God. And so the prophet is saying to the people, if you think you're immune from judgment, think again, because this this has happened before. And, you know, it does seem like we live in a time where people in general think that they're immune from judgment, right? Right. 
I mean, why do people or how do people do the things they do these days without seemingly having any concern or care about it? They do it because they don't think there's a judgment. They think they're free to do it because there's no one watching. There's no day of accountability. You know, it was Karl Marx who said that religion was the opiate of the people. And he he used that to, you know, he used that to talk about how the the like the church, the institutionalized church oppressed the people and told them that I know your life is miserable now. Don't worry about it. You get to go to heaven later. So just submit to us. Just, you know, do what we want and don't, don't worry about it. So Mark saw that as the opiate of the people. And that, that kind of thing was, in a sense, it kept the people from ever, you know, acting on their part. But that term has come down and it's not used in the context that Marx still uses it or that Marx originally used it, but it's still used today. People will just say it, you know, religion is the opiate of the people. In other words, it's religion just dulls your mind and, you know, you're not thinking about reality and you don't really know what, you're just out of touch. But somebody turned it around and said, actually, atheism is the opiate of the people, more so than religion, because atheism tries to convince people that there is no day of judgment. And this is the greatest delusion you could ever come under. That there is no reckoning, that there is no day when people will have to give an account for their sins. Even those people who say that, they oftentimes uh, want to make people give an account for their so-called sins. They want to take revenge on them, and they, they believe that that would be justice to do that. So they, they recognize and insist even that there's a, a place for justice in this, but then they, they fail to see that that transcends life here. It goes on into the next life. And so the, the atheist delusion is that there is no judgment, we just die and we vanish. We go into oblivion and there's nothing beyond that. But again, that creates a massive problem for justice. If there is such a thing as justice, then if Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or any of the other tyrants in history just did what they did, were responsible for the death of untold millions of people, and then they just died and that's the end of it, well, that, that creates a serious problem. As well, and and most people, even those who are atheists, would say, no, no, no. Something there's something that had to, you know, they had to to pay up in some way. So, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. But uh, the the point is, God is saying to them, there's a day of judgment, and if you don't believe me, just think about Shiloh, because it's already come. So. He goes down a little bit further, and in verse 15, he says, I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. The reason this is important to remember is, so he's taken him back to Shiloh, which is before, back in the time of the judges and Samuel. But an even closer example is Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for Israel, the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians 
not all that long ago. And so that was an even more fresh example of a judgment that came. So the Lord says, though, to Jeremiah in verse 16, he says, therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Wow. When God says don't pray for somebody, that's, that is really, really serious. So they have gone now, in a sense, they've gone beyond the point of no return. And God knows that all the prayers are, are in vain. And so the Lord then says, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? Verse 18, here's what they did. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. So they made these offerings and these cakes to the queen of heaven. And the queen of heaven was um, a deity within the Babylonian, you know, their group of gods and goddesses. The queen of heaven was connected to the Babylonian gods and goddesses. And you find that queen of heaven coming up in different places in the ancient writings, and it comes up again here in Jeremiah. But you also find that terminology used in Roman Catholicism. And Roman Catholicism speaks of a queen of heaven as well and actually refers to Mary as the queen of heaven. And this is where we see the pagan influences from the ancient world upon certain aspects of Roman Catholicism. And so according to the scriptures themselves, there is no queen of heaven. Uh, There is the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, the book of Revelation that we just journeyed through, we saw there that the, you know, the Father is, is there upon the throne, the seven spirits of God, and Jesus Christ, the faithful and true witness. And we always see the, the picture of deity is always the triune God. There is no female deity. There is no such thing as the queen of heaven. And so the whole emphasis on Mary within Catholicism and the focus upon her as being a, a mediator in some sense and ultimately crowned as the queen of heaven, that shows some of the pagan aspects of Roman Catholicism. So, you know, Roman Catholicism is a, is a blend. It's a mix of pagan ideas with Christian ideas. And there's enough Christian ideas that even in the midst of the pagan stuff, people can still find the Lord and be believers. And usually what happens when that, when they come to the Lord is they recognize those other influences as being not in sync with what God would have. And so they stay away from that. For the month of September, 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. With so much social, cultural, and relational unrest, all of us need to forgive or be forgiven in either small or significant ways. Have you ever found it difficult to forgive someone for a wrong they committed against you? What if that person never apologized? How can you forgive someone who hasn't even acknowledged they have done something wrong? In his book, Forgive, Timothy Keller lays out the path of forgiveness that leads to reconciliation rather than the path of unforgiveness that can lead towards retaliation. You'll learn about the power of forgiveness that can bring freedom both to the one who forgives and the one who has been forgiven. We are living in a time where forgiveness is desperately needed. If you're struggling with forgiveness or even guilt, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series with the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.